Welcome, everybody, to the first Say Os Again podcast. Say Os Again, the only podcast worth a shit about grappling and BJJ. Welcome, everybody. Uh, <laughs> I'm your host, uh, Matt. You might know me as uh, the third most important fight site intern. <laughs> I have joined... <laughs> it was a light will start. <laughs> what a fuck. <laughs> Welcome everybody to the first edition of the Say Host Again podcast. Can we just point out that Matt was out was outvoted for naming his own podcast? Like you couldn't even name your own podcast. I just want to point that out, and that's amazing. I couldn't even the first introduction of my first podcast. Without being completely overshadowed. But uh, once again, it's your host, Matt, uh, from thefightsite.com. And today, I'm joined by Tom Elliott, fellow writer for the Fight Site, former uh, uh, judo and jiu-jitsu black belt, as well as an amateur MMA fighter. How are you, Tom? I'm doing great, Matt. I'm happy to be here. I'm also joined... Hold on. Do you have a topology page? Matt was wrong, but I wasn't going to correct him. I was actually not an amateur MMA fighter. I was an amateur Muay Thai fighter. Muay Thai. Muay Thai. I right. Piece of shit, Matt. I know. And that voice right there is another contributor to the Bloody Elbow and the fight site, my grappling father, Ben Cohn. How are you today, Ben? I am wonderful. I'm excited to be here, uh, mostly because I know this is going to be an absolutely incredibly fucked up next however long we do this for. And I can't wait. This one's for the patrons. This is so good. This is going on Spotify, actually. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now, I'd really like to have a discussion. Uh, Ben and I have been talking about Twitter, uh, about this for a while, just about how to build a guard starting as a white belt that can help you have success and building on that as you advance the uh, belt level. So if one of you guys want to take it away, it'd be much appreciated. Can, can we use you as a guinea pig as our example? I think we Am I not the fight site guinea pig? You're, uh, that's fair. <laughs> it is fair. How, how did you uh, How did you learn the guard, Matt? How did you learn how to play guard? Um, how did so, you think? Oh, but, oh, wait, let me rephrase that. How did you think you learned how to play guard? How do I play it now, or how did when I first started? Come no, on, when when you yeah. were a white belt, like how did you learn to put together a guard game? Yeah. Uh, so everyone at my uh, my gym played a lot of knee shield. Uh, so mm-hmm. it came from that. Uh, I was pretty much looking for the G roll. Uh, Alex Eklund, who's a master sky teacher, brilliant guy. Uh, you should really, if you have a, any opportunity to roll in New York City, I highly recommend him. Check uh, he was known for, yeah, check out our interview on uh, the Fight Site YouTube. Uh, but when I started, I uh, knew a little bit about him, so I started G rolling. Uh, and then mm-hmm. from there, I sort of built it with frames, uh, framing first from the half guard. And then I kind of started focusing on the gi a lot more. And just I started just going for omoplatas from collar sleeve. So I was really yeah. submission oriented, or as Ben would probably call that position oriented as a sweep. Uh, but that was the way I started. Uh, but now I'm focused much more on uh, guard retention via the lasso. And then getting to my one position and being able to have a couple opportunities from the deep lasso. Yeah. So nobody ever really told you 
or, or maybe they did, uh, kind of the, the strategic levels of guard and um, how to think about putting your game together? I was kind of thick-headed, so they probably did. <laughs> probably well, they, they probably like, they probably didn't. That's that is kind of a rhetorical question because I feel like that the level of technical instruction at Jiu-Jitsu academies is is pretty high almost anywhere. I mean, most one of the great things about BJJ is most black belts are pretty goddamn good at grappling. Um, no matter where you go, they know what they're doing and they can teach it, and so they teach the techniques. But I think that the the pedagogy lacks an overarching structure in a lot of ways, and and developing a guard game is certainly certainly a piece of that. Um, you know, when I'm working with students and we're talking about guards and, and how to play, what I always try to get them to do first is figure out what they like to do best. What is their favorite guard to play? What do they find themselves going to naturally? Because the thing is, most of the, the major guard systems work perfectly fine. You know, you can't, you can't really say that one is so much better than the other. Um, it's, it's really about what suits the individual best physically, psychologically, et cetera. And and once you do that, then the question becomes, what are the really key elements of making this card work? So if you're talking about De La Hiva, really key elements: control the control the leg that you're uh, that you're wrapping, have a deep active hook where you have enough control with your incept to actually move the guy, and then have your other leg free to be able to push against the hip and move him around. If you can if you can get to those things your daily heave will work fairly well. And conversely, the passer is going to try and prevent you from getting those. Um, so, you know, focus on kind of what the core things are, figure out how to get to there from a lot of different guards, and then have just a small suite of attacks that you know how to set up that you can hit on virtually anybody. Um, and once you have that, you know what you're trying to do. Then you start seeing how people frequently stop it. And you only add those pieces to your guard game that are necessary to stop those pieces. So like if you're a De La Hiva player, you have to have an answer to somebody getting into a deep knee slice. You have to have some sort of reverse De La Hiva half guard system. Doesn't have to be your main thing. Don't have to be great at it. Maybe your whole goal with it is just to get back to De La Hiva. It's fine. That's what the Mendez brothers do um, for the most part. But uh you, you only add those pieces that solve specific problems you're encountering in training. And to me, that's kind of the basic framework for how you build out a guard game. Yeah, I can't really disagree with any of that, um, obviously. Uh, I mean, so uh, at least from, from my experience at Marcelo's, one of the, one of the benefits of being at a gym like Marcelo's is that there is, well, it, when I was there, it wasn't, you know, there's like 600 people before COVID. Or so, I don't know how many people were really. But um, when I first started, like you had guys like Munchie, uh, Manchikara, and you had John Satava's purple belts, you had Mateus Dini's as purple belts, and you had these guys who were coming up and they're insanely elite at their level. And yeah. then Gianni Grippo came over. But still, we had Bernard, uh, not Bernardo, we had Marcelo Garcia, obviously, as the main instructor. We had uh, Henrique Zende, Paul Schreiner. I had all these different um, styles and, and knowledge bases to pull from, but also still being relevant. Was Bab still there when you first started, Ben? Who? Was Bab still there? Uh, don't think so. I started in February 2012. Okay, now it was a while ago he opened his own alliance school. I was just curious because back when Marcelo was, was really, really first opened his gym, he was uh he was a pretty big deal out of there. Oh, fuck, there was one other guy. Shoot, there was one other guy. Black belt, just humongous dude. Black uh, guy. What? Black guy? No, uh, Brazilian guy. 
Uh, okay. I can't remember. Oh, Bra- his name. plenty of black Brazilian guys. Uh, he wasn't. He was. He was. Uh, okay. Edson Barboza. Ed- Edson Barboza. Oh. Same tone. Okay. I, don't know. I would call that uh, uh, delicious milk chocolate. I don't know. <laughs> it's very homoerotic. Uh, well, it's it should be a homoerotic <laughs> podcast. Yeah. It's exactly. It's, exactly. it's only homoerotic. Once joy is not wrong. <laughs> um, so uh, I would say that um, uh, for me, it was a lot of stuff to pull from, and I had that 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 option to like learn what was best for me. And I, and I actually started as a full guard player, a full close guard player. Um, yeah. That was my, 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 and I had one sweep, literally one sweep. I had the uh, pendulum sweep. That was it. I would go for the armbar from guard as like a, 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 a diversion, go right for the pendulum, get to, get to mount, get the, two, uh, the sweep two points, mount uh, four points. I'm up six points. That was my entire game for about, mm. I don't know, two years. Just the same sweep armbar, and I had that same game. That's a uh, pretty good game, though. It was. And, and you I mean, know what? I, I recommend it to a lot of people because it's a really good way of, like, having a safe space is what I would say. But yeah, you're you're a back take away from Hunter Gracie's close guard game. So, exactly. you know, and that's yeah. a position he got to all the time and just wrecked dudes from. So close guard is wonderful. If you can get there, close guard is dangerous as hell. Exactly. People underrate it. And how I built out my guard game, and if and Matt can confirm, my guard game now is focused a lot from the half guard, uh, which is interesting. Like, and the way I got there is, is you know, as people started to break through to my closed guard, a lot of my game was okay, learn how to get back from you know half guard and yeah. side so back to full guard. And as I started getting more comfortable with that, I would also I would start to actually you know to to, to add some pieces to my game to misdirect to to actually you know, have some attacks from that game. And as I kept just slowly, like you said, adding piece by piece and making it better in a way that was not only functional, but also fit my mentality and my personality mm-hmm. and me. I'm not a uber-aggressive jiu-jitsu player or fighter or yeah. anything. I'm just not. It's not how I go. I like to watch, see how you're going to react, how fast are you going to move, how slow are you going to move, where are you going to grab, what's your first grip you're going to make, and then react accordingly. I'm more analytical. I'm not the most athletic guy. I'm not the most powerful guy. I'm not the fastest guy. So I need to basically use my brain. And that's actually something that I'm still very proud of to this day. Mateus, when he was a purple belt, told me, he's like, you're going to be really good. You're very smart. That's what he told me. And I love you, Mateus. Uh, But that's something I really took to heart, like to heart, because like if he's saying you're your strength is your brain, your 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 ability to analyze, your ability to watch these things, to see these things, and to react accordingly. That's what I'm going to build off of. So yep. my personal experience is that I took what worked for me as a person and as a, an athlete, and I built off of that. If you see guys who are, like, super, like, small and, and, and wiry and not the strongest guy, and they're trying to have, like, this crazy pressure passing game, and they're like... I don't think that's the kind of thing that's necessarily going to work for a lot of people. Or you have guys who who try to do these things that require an insane amount of flexibility that, that they don't necessarily have, but they're trying to learn how to uh, hit these these sweeps that like, or they're trying to learn these sweeps. Like, oh, I, I remember this distinctly. You know, like those people who can like you're mounted on them and then they can bring their legs up and then just catch you with their foot. Yeah, yeah. yeah fuck them. First of all, that's bullshit. That's not real. Stop it. Secondly, like I watched a guy who is five foot seven, not exactly long-legged, asking someone to show them how to do that. And I'm like, it, 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 they're missing the point. The point isn't yeah. that you should be shown how to do it. The point is that 
that's only something that people with certain body types and abilities can do. Yeah. So for me, if I was teaching someone, I would say, know who you are or learn who you are. What, like you said, what does come, what does come naturally and just build off of that? Yeah. You know, there's this, I think that's true. And I think to get to that point, it's really important to go through a phase of playing a bunch of different guards and collecting a lot of techniques. Um, there's this, this trope in uh, computer science that one of the things you want to avoid when you're developing code is premature optimization, right? You don't want to put too much energy into, into perfecting something until you're really sure that that's the thing you should put your, your energy into. And, um, you know, I, I think that's a, a thing that you see happening with, um, with, with a certain, with, you know, with a lot of people, a lot of people will do that. They'll, they'll realize like, Hey, I, I figure out how to throw a triangle. So I'm going to spend all my energy on getting triangles. Well, that's, it's not bad to have something that you know you're good at and that you specialize in and you want to start building your game about, but, but specifically when you're a white belt and more early blue belt, you should not be playing one thing to the exclusion of everything else. I don't think. I think it's really important to try and play whatever you're working on in class that day. Um, and just try, add, add these pieces to your game. It doesn't have to become your thing, but you need to know it. Um, and then once you get to more like late blue and purple, I think you can really start to say, okay, you know, I, I know most of the technical repertoire of jiu-jitsu, or at least I know the main positions, uh, the main guard positions in this instance. I know what I like best. I know what works best for me. There's things I naturally gravitate to. Let's start figuring out how to optimize around those. Yeah, uh, that I agree with. I don't mean uh, I should have clarified or been more clear. Uh, obviously, don't limit yourself to just you know doing only close guard. When I say it was only doing close guard, I mean like tournament, right? Uh, in yeah, class, yeah. No, was, I wasn't yeah. criticizing. I was just ripping no, no. off what you were I, what you were I, saying. I, agree with I mean, you. I'm, I'm in, in tournaments, it, it is good. In tournaments, yeah. it is good to have a thing you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Kyotera has a great story about uh, his first tournament, and he said literally the only thing he knew was how to armbar people from close guard. And he won the tournament by armbarring four people in a row from close guard. Like, because, you know, he's Kyotera. Um, you know, super talented. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, in a tournament, like, especially, especially at the colored belt level, mm-hmm. just having – one thing you're really killer at that you're really good at funneling the game into is all that really matters. I mean, that's, that's like, um, probably, I guess about 10 years ago now, like when Lloyd Irvin's team was winning everything. The reason they were doing it is because everybody on the team would have like their thing that they did and they got really good at it and they didn't compete against people. They, they, they competed against people who were very technically skilled but who didn't have the experience and the strategic depth to figure out how to deny them what they needed. But he's never had a black belt world champion for a reason. And I think it's because his people are too specialized. And at the highest level, if you're competing against people more than once, you know, they're going to figure out how to not give you what you need. I think Irving has uh, Muhammad Ali as a world champion. Uh, That's true, but was he was on the he was on the team and registered as them, but he did not actually no. train with Lloyd Irvin ever, right? I mean, he's Brazilian. He's trained, from what I understand, he's trained with him a little, but I think during that during that run, it was he wasn't training with Lloyd. It was more of a you're paying for the idea yeah. of having a world champion. Yeah, uh, one thing there are good guys there. That's true. 
Now, listen, their 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 success is they are you know unfortunately. Well, no, look, I mean they're not successful. Nah, they are unfortunately. No, I mean they they are successful. Lloyd Irvin is really kind of unfortunately a, a very good coach. Yeah. Um, he's probably he may be the best American Brazilian jiu-jitsu coach. He's just also a rapist. So, right. well, you know, well, he tried and couldn't. Well, uh, yeah, I, that's what he said. Allegations. Yeah. yeah. He's he, he, there. There's clearly he, he, do, do, don't go to a school. Kids no, do don't not. do that. No, no, no. It doesn't it's matter how good culture. they are at jujitsu. It's, it's more important. It's more important. Yeah. yeah. It's more important to be a good person, not to be part of a multi-level marketing scheme that happens to produce good jujitsu athletes at the color belt level. Yeah, we didn't even bring up the multi-level yeah. marketing so scheme. So just to get back, I want to get back to the card uh, conversation. So, yes. Uh, so you talked about having Ben had that one attack. Do you subscribe to the theory that you should have at least three attacks that work well with, like, you can uh, transition between per guard? And then how would you put your attacks from a specific position together? to optimize your ability to attack from that guard? So when you talk about chaining moves in jiu-jitsu, it's very important to understand what that means because white belts think of it as, oh, I'm going to learn these six moves in sequence based upon what my opponent does, and that's that's what I'm going to do. And that's not how it works at all. What What happens is, you know, for, for any given move that you're trying to do, any given position you're in, there's probably only a few good options for your opponent. And for those good options, for the bad options, once you're good, you can just improvise and you'll win. For the good options, you've got something that you know how to do, and it gets you to another position. Well, from it's from that position, you've got another set of options. Um, it's not as if you see the direction this is going to go six moves down. It's that every move that happens, it gets you to another position you recognize and you can react from there. Um, so this notion of like, well, I have to have three attacks, like, no, you don't. It's kind of arbitrary how many you need. Usually you've got one thing you're trying to do and everything else just plays off reactions to that, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing to have. I don't think you would have either. Um, Personally, I think it's good to have at least like two really reliable things that you can do uh, that can sort of feed into each other. Just from my personal experience with, with and how my guard game developed, um, that can funnel one into the other. That allows me to uh, to to get the reactions that I want and then play off of those reactions. Right. So if I go for deep half, yeah. I, I know that I can, uh, you know, uh, as I off balance, then I'll come back up for the single. If I go for the single, I come back up under for the deep half and same exact thing. And it's, it's not about, you know, having, you don't need a third attack, I think. I think you just need to be really, really good at uh, forcing the reactions you want to then go yeah. to whatever you want to do next. And I think you could do that even with one, one really reliable move. You could just force reactions and then react accordingly from there. Yeah, and I think it's important to think of these things not necessarily in terms of attacks that you're looking for as much as positions you're trying to reach. So yeah. it, it is true that there are often attacks that, that you like and that are the result of reaching a specific position, but you take something like butterfly guard. If you're a if you're a good butterfly guard player and you're competing against somebody who's, you know, a good good on top, you're not thinking about I have to I have to 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 
uh, hook flip this guy. You know, mm-hmm. that's not what you're thinking about. What you're thinking is I have to get to a position where I have double unders or at least over under. Right. Well, and if I have double overs, then I better have my feet on his hips so that he's not going to pass and I'm going to be able to sweep him. Right? right. So it's, it's about the positions you're getting to. And when you get to those positions and you've got a lot of things that you can do to try and get to those positions. Once you get there, you may only have one or two attacks, but because you've established the position you need, you're going to hit those attacks. And yeah, maybe, you know, you're, you're looking to, to hook flip somebody. And one of the things they can do is post on the ground and you know, and have trained that when that happens, you go for the straight arm bar, mm-hmm. right? Like that's, that's what I'm, what I'm trying to say when I say it's about, it's not about chains of things or, or how many attacks you have. It's about what position am I trying to get to? And when I get there and I get my move, um, what are the guy's options to defend it? And I'm, I'm going to have something for the main ones. Yeah. And I think that it is a common misconception, especially among lower belts or people who are just new to jujitsu, is that they're like, the people like, the people love to use like the chess analogy, right? And they think that yeah. every, everyone thinks that they're going to become the next Bobby Fischer of jujitsu, where they're like, I am planning six moves ahead of you. I'm going to do this. You're going to do this. And then, blah, blah, blah. and the reality is, it's like, no, it's, it's, you move a pawn, they move a pawn. And you move a knight, they move a knight. I think for the most part, you know? Uh, it's, you can't predict exactly what they're going to do unless you are there in such a compromised position that they literally have like one direction to go. But, you know, when you're playing guard, a lot of times they have more than one direction to go. They have more than one direct thing they can do. And I, I can't stress this enough. When you are at a severe athletic disadvantage, there's a lot that can happen in these positions that you're just not mm-hmm. able to do and most people can do. So, uh, when it comes, like you said, to chaining, it's it's really not necessarily about one, two, three. It's not step one, two, three, four, five, six. It's get to this. I want a specific position that allows me to utilize specific moves and then go from there. Yep. When you talk about chaining, you, you take someone like Marcelo Garcia, who, uh, as much as I love and respect Todra Gracie, I, I actually think Marcelo is is the greater uh, jujitsu athlete. I think he's the greatest who ever lived. Um, I agree wholeheartedly. When you uh, when you watch what he does, a lot of what he he did, especially in his in his early days, in his early prime, was he just created scrambles. But the thing was that Marcelo had practiced so much, was so good, he recognized the positions he was in faster than anybody else. And so he was consistently getting into better positions off those scrambles. And uh, it's pretty hard to stop someone pr- from starting a scramble, especially Nogi. And if that person is just mentally ahead of you and physically – where you're at. Marcel is a much better athlete than people give him credit for. Uh, very, 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 I'll tell a fat. personal story. Quick, I'll tell yeah. a personal story after you, if you finish. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, then, I mean, that's, that's basically what I'm saying. It's uh, so much of this is about positional recognition and trying to get, trying to know instantly what you need to do to improve your position to get to the point where an attack is inevitable and a finish is inevitable. And that's a big John Danaher thing is that once you get to the positions you need, like you, you should be able to finish every time. And I, I actually agree with that. You know, we're all limited by the limits of our skill, but, um, you should be able to anyway, Ben, what's, I'm, I'm really curious to hear the story. So uh, this is actually the first time I ever rolled with Marcelo. Uh, still a white belt, but I literally got my blue belt, I think like three days later. Um, yeah, no, like next week I got my blue belt. So it was a, a pass the guard drill. So, you know, I'm a white belt, so Marcelo is not being serious in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I actually got a butterfly sweep on him, and I got him fucking airborne. 
I yeah I I was so proud of myself like I got I got like half airborne so he, he's like mid his he's he basically angles himself almost like like perpendicular to the ground and I noticed that so so he's trying to like just jump over yeah and I try to catch him with my leg and I I I you know I had I thought I had it. I was on the outside of his leg. So not inside. I wasn't trying to catch a half guard. I was trying to catch a full guard. And I thought I could. He rotated his hips in midair. So my foot went off of his hip. And then he just landed inside control completely, like, almost rotated. So his head is the only thing not upside down towards the ceiling. And then just turns back and he, like, taps me nicely on the chest and goes, you stay, because that was my third win in a row. <laughs> So, like, it's just the ability to – it's crazy. Obviously, I'm a white belt yeah. at the time, so it's not – it's nearly as impressive. But just, like, the level of athleticism was freaky. Yeah. And people don't realize that. Also, he's stupid uh, strong. Stupidly yeah. strong. Um, top, top guys are like that, man. I remember the first time I ever uh, rolled with somebody really, like, really top level was Andre Galvao in about – probably about 2014, mm-hmm. somewhere around there. Okay. And um, I remember uh, – I remember rolling with him and he's just like, he wasn't trying to pass my guard. It was a seminar. He's, he's a nice guy. Like he wasn't trying to embarrass me. He was being cool. Right. Um, but like I, it wasn't that I would get to a guard and then he'd shut me down and start passing. I could never even establish a guard. Like I couldn't get to daily heave. I couldn't get to reverse daily heave. Like there were no hooks to be had. I couldn't get a good grip on him. He's just like instantly neutralizing everything so fast. Mm-hmm. And finally he kind of lets me get to deep half and, you know, he's famous deep half player and he kind of top player. And, uh, you know, he did some ninja shit and, and choked me out. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, man, like the first time you really, and you guys are lucky cause you're in the, in the New York area. So, you know, there are guys at that level that you can go train with, but for so many people, they, they just don't know what it means to roll with somebody who's truly, truly excellent at jujitsu, both, you know, at a high level of, of athleticism and at the highest level, technically, it's uh, it's it's eye opening and it, it's it gives you something to aspire to. It's one of the uh, things that I think that Matt, I, I, I'll say it. I don't know if Matt will agree. Um, uh, Gene, I think, is uh, unfortunately one of those guys who should have been a world champ, in my opinion. Never. My coach is like that, too. He never tried. Like he just he yeah. had no interest in competing. He had no. I don't know if he's, I don't think he's competed since like early 2000s when he was at Henzo's. Yeah. He just didn't care about it. It's not what he wanted to do. But he still has that, he still, like, you still feel that. Like, I've rolled with yeah. literal oh, yeah. world champions. And when I rolled with Gene, like, that, what you described, that preternatural ability to, like, just, like, shut down everything you're doing before it happens is, is unreal. And, it's important to train with people like that if you have the opportunity it to. Um, it is. It changes everything. And one thing that I think is a really, really good way of describing that is that people like that can also find things that work. Not just like, not just like, oh, it's cool and it works like here and there. But like, no, it's a consistent game that they can apply because of the abilities that they have, right? So when you're talking about butterfly, you were talking about getting at least an over under or double unders, right? Gene's butterfly game. Is oh my god double overs. That is yeah. his name. It's, yeah. it's a legit game. If you're good enough at keeping your feet on the hips and preventing anybody from flattening you out, mm-hmm. it is it is an extremely legit way to play butterfly. It's and just hard to his... make work against guys who are really good top players because 
it, it's not that hard, Nogi, usually to deny the double overhook. And that's the scary part, is that that is his primary. Get, he just gets there, yeah. He's so good at not only getting there, but control. The, 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 the tightness, the control, the, 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 the power he can generate in that position is absurd. And it helps him feed into that Gooseneck guillotine as well. Like, that's like, it, it yeah. all feeds in into that system. Yeah, I think if you're going to be a butterfly guard player, you really need to be good at, at four things. Um, the first is, is the hook sweep, right? The basic yeah. hook flip. You, you just got to be great at it, um, which it's, is often taught wrong. A lot of people don't teach to hip out, but it's so important to hip out to hit that sweep. Uh, yeah. But you got to be good at that. You got to be good at arm dragging and hand fights. You got to be good at snapping guys down into guillotines, and you got to be good at ankle picking the instant somebody uh, picks a foot up. But I think if you can do those, you can hand fight well. Um, you know, butterfly guard is wrestling for your butt, right? Like it's, it's a wrestling style guard. Uh, and if, if you can do those things, though, you you will probably have a good butterfly guard game. Um, yeah, I mean, butterfly is definitely not my personal uh, game. I have a decent one because you kind of don't have a choice if you train at Marcellus. It's kind of mandatory. Right. You fucking better have a good butterfly yeah. guard game. Yeah, I, I don't know. Matt can can testify whether it's good or not but it's definitely not my my primary game but i think it's okay uh i think that uh something that also is uh in my opinion very important for butterfly game is it's not a type of game that you can kind of like it's not it's not a, it's not in, at least again this is my personal experience i don't really see a lot of good people who could stall in butterfly you gotta go it is not a stalling guard you have to go and you shouldn't play stalling guards unless you're old <laughs> or broken i can play them broken. You yeah. you can't, Matt. I, I am definitely can't. Play them. Does I'm Lasso count? I am nearly thirty. I am official. By the way, apparently you're allowed to do Masters one the year you turn thirty. Not That's, that is correct. That is so correct. I am officially a Masters one. Dude, you should do it, man. Dude, I gotta wait. Still, are you still a purple belt, Ben? Officially, I'm still purple belt. Yeah. Dude, that's stupid. You should be a brown belt. We have a story. I have a, we have a story after. Uh, yeah, that's for off the podcast. <laughs> For no, what it's worth, I was a I was a brown belt for four years and competed professionally a few times successfully before uh, my coach gave me my black belt. So you know, it happens. I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. Probably the only reason I'm not one is just because of COVID. I, it's, I would have been training for another yeah. year already myself. It probably would have been okay. I'm already a four strike purple belt. So I just uh, all right. So yeah. not to dwell on personal glories that I've yet to achieve yet. Um, <laughs> But I kind of want to uh, talk Wait, about... Wait, yet? Yet? Does, uh, does yet imply that you're going to do it? If I said to you that I was that I hadn't seen a movie yet, would you think I was going to see that movie? Matt is feeling really this, shitty at that moment. Like, holy is, crap, he had no actual this. answer. This, this, is a double level, this is a double level joke because Matt has no idea that I'm making an extended Seinfeld reference um, because Seinfeld was canceled before he was born. Oh my god. So there's that. You go watch Seinfeld is kind of the point of what he was trying to say. Say Os again, Matt. He didn't get that reference, podcast audience. He'd never seen Pulp Fiction. We had to educate him as I'm best we could. So, uh, but no, uh, something I want to talk about is it's something I've really struggled with. I'm trying to focus on it more. Uh, building guard retention into your guard. I think there's a lot of conversations yeah. and instructionals about how to attack from specific guards. Uh, but I don't think there's a lot of there hasn't been a lot of discussion on how to build a guard retention game 
that will work as you progress uh, from specific yeah. guards and in general. Uh, so if we just want to talk about that, I think that'd be really helpful. Yeah, I think you've really nailed something there, which is the guard retention is one of the least well-structured aspects of uh, jiu-jitsu in terms of uh, pedagogy. You know, all good guys are good at guard retention, but it's like how often do you actually get taught like you, nobody has guard retention classes at the academy or v very few people do. Um, the only um, DVDs that I know of that really focus on it are Ryan Hall's defensive guard uh, DVDs, which, you know, are probably very good if you can get past Ryan Hall's uh, talking for 10 minutes about nothing. Yeah. I, think, uh, yeah, I can't stand this. I can't stand his teaching style. I respect him a great deal as a, as a competitor. Um, and just as a theorist in jiu-jitsu, but uh, yeah, I, I own a bunch a of his DVDs lecture. and I don't like them. He has he enjoys a good lecture. He does, Lord, he does. Just show me the moves. <laughs> but in any case, um, you must hate Donner then. You know, I I don't love his teaching style. He's a little too uh, he's a little too loquacious for me. Says the guy saying pedagogy. Matt, shut up and mute yourself. <laughs> All right. I'm sophisticated, not loquacious. I try not to ramble. But anyways, um, in terms of guard retention, I think that the basic principles of guard, of guard retention in terms of framing, controlling inside space, not letting yourself be flattened, like these are things that, that coaches definitely talk about, probably at most gyms. Um, there's not enough positional sparring oriented around this. You know, I think if you're a coach, it would be a really good drill to to let somebody start and to let two people start in a top and bottom half guard without a knee shield and say to the top person, like your goal is to flatten them and the bottom person, your goal is to not get flat because positional considerations like that are so important that they deserve to be drilled um, both for skill development and just to make sure people remember them. Um, but I don't think that happens much. And I think guard retention is really one of the few areas where, uh, where there, there isn't that, kind of very specific training around it that's uh, common to most schools. I mean, Ben, what do, you, what do you think? Have you ever had classes that were just like, we're going to work on guard retention today? It wasn't so much that we're going to work on guard. It wasn't the, uh, <clears throat> it wasn't specifically like, we're going to work on guard retention, but that might also just be the language barrier because it does, not all of the instructors that I work with obviously speak English as the first language. Uh, but there have been multiple classes actually at Marcellus where like it was just like, okay, they passed your half guard, you're going to fight to get back to, uh, to, to full yeah. guard or whatever it is. And they would do that actually quite That's a lot. Cool. And there would be a lot yeah. of passing, passing guard drills. Um, Gene actually, Gene's school, uh, that, 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 that every single class actually has at least three rounds where you start in a guard. You can choose open, close, whatever, you know, depending on what he's taught that day and how it, uh, uh, he'll decide whether it's open or close guard. And, Three rounds, three minutes of each one switching top and bottom. You pass the yeah. guard, you, you, reta you retain your guard. So oh, I actually good. think that that's super important as well. Um, it is. And I think that something that uh, it, it, you've mentioned to me that you should just be super mean, but I think that's really important that when you're trying to retain a guard, if someone's trying to pass, they have all that leverage. They have that mm -hmm. downward pressure that they can work with. So I think a big part of uh, retaining the guard and just being able to kind of push back against that force pushing down on you is be mean. Be like, be mean as fuck. Use your frames with frame yeah. against the jaw, frame against the, 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 the face. Uh, I do it depending on what I'm with. I, I will not do it against someone who's significantly worse than me. I will not do it against yeah. someone who's significantly smaller than me 
or weaker than me. I don't think that really benefits anybody. Um, unless they tell me like I'm training for a competition or whatever it is. And I'll tell them, do you want me to go hundred percent? I'll do it to anyone worse than me, but not, not people who can't take it. Right. You know, I'm so not going to like sure. wickedly cross face a teenager. Exactly. Um, but I think that's actually a really important aspect that people kind of forget sometimes. They're like, Oh, the guy's passing. I got to push off his leg and frame against the body. Yeah. They kind of like the it, trying to get all the details is really important, obviously. But sometimes it's just like, yeah, just like put your fucking like, blade of your wrist into their face and push really hard and yeah. that'll move their yeah. face and that'll move their well, don't body. stop move don't stop moving and uh you know it's funny a lot of the things that people think of as mean they're like oh it's so mean to do xyz yeah. like in your instance to you know to frame hard against the somebody's face like yeah you shouldn't punch them but yeah. that shit that shit doesn't work because it hurts it works because if you push if you make somebody's head turn then their spine loses postural integrity and they can't they can't produce force downward towards you. Yes. Like it's what it, it's not that you should try to be mean. Like no, you should not try to be mean. That shit doesn't work. Black belts don't give a fuck if you're mean to them. They're, they've seen it. They don't care. Um, but don't be afraid to be mean if it is the correct technique in a situation. Right. Like um, when I'm cross choking people, like I fuck them up. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, because people get very tight, right, when you cross choke them. So I, I was telling Matt about having trained a little bit with Hodra Gracie. Like, he showed his cross choke, and a big part of his cross choke is he sets the first hand. Then for the second hand, he gets his elbow on the mat right next to the person's head, and he just pushes their head as hard as he has to to get them to open, to turn their head and to open up the other collar. And then he slides his arm up the side of their head so that they can't turn their head back while he sets the second hand. Yeah. And that shit works exceptionally well. I cross collar choke people all the time. Um, and it hurts, but you don't yeah. do it because it hurts. Right. You do it because it's right. Mean with a purpose. There has to be mean, an yeah. actual yeah. purpose behind it. That's, that's to advance your position or to defend and retain your position that you want. Yeah. It has um, to be mechanically correct. I think, yeah, exactly. And I think that, uh, I have a perfect example of that because part of my, one of my best position is that top, uh, Matt knows what I'm talking about. This really high top side control that I do. Yeah. You know, Matt, you got it. Like where I do that triangle. Yeah. You do it to me every goddamn time. Yeah. Well, no, it's not. Oh. No, I don't do it to you every goddamn time. I do it to almost everybody every goddamn time. Yeah. Because I'm just going to have to leg lock Ben when we roll because I feel like a guy who should be a brown belt is probably at least as good as a, an out of shape, overweight uh, black belt you, from. You uh, do also out. have like seventy pounds on me. Yeah. I'm once I'm I'm heavy now, but I'm one eighty five. Like that's me heavy right now. Yeah, I'm heavy now. I'm about two thirty. Yeah, so it's gonna. I'll probably be about two fifteen when I'm in really yeah. good shape. Yeah, if you're like two fifteen and I'm down to one seventy, we're gonna. <laughs> I'll be fast for uh, <laughs> have my weight disadvantage. But um, no, so this top side control, one of the things I do to get to it is I go really, really high on the, on, on your upper body and I'll, I'll kind of get my uh, left hip, usually because I always go to the left side. Um, I'll get my left hip and I'll kind of like grind it into the jaw because I need a specific reaction. I need yeah. to get your, your, fa- your chin facing a specific way so that I can get my yep. arm and elbow pointing into the side of your head. And people are like, oh, that really Are sucks. you north-south like, choking people? I'm not north south joking people. What I do is I put them into a, a top side triangle. So I'll like yeah. step over there. I'll, I'll oh, you're their stepping over. To, yeah, so yeah. I'll yeah. pull their arm up to fake that arm bar. And then when they pull their arm back to defend it, that's when I slide my leg right through and I get like a triangle. And then I'll work, I'll work a, a, a top side, uh, straight arm bar or Kimura or something yeah. like that. 
Oh, and it works cool. extremely well. And it's miserable. are you are you uh, are you anti Kimura? Is that like a? I know Marcelo personally is not a big Kimura fan, but is that like he discourages people from working on the position? No, or... he doesn't discourage it. He just gives them context where he's like, listen, if the guy's just bigger and stronger, it's gonna be really hard to Kimura. That's all. And he's very blunt about it. He's like, I'm not that big a guy. I won't Kimura somebody who weighs two sixty. <laughs> it's not gonna work. But he will armbar them from the Kimura. It's crazy. Just saying. He's Just so saying. good. The Kimura trap shit right. is a – The Kimura trap is so good. I think It's I think, so good. And it's a huge part of Hoffa Mendez's game. Let me put it like, this way. I, I love Barcelo, but if Hoffa Mendez some, does something and centralizes it as part of his game, that oh, yeah. shit works. So that's the thing. I think that Marcelo kind of got in – that either he was like – he as he was coming up, was like struggling to Kimura people or was yeah. getting Kimura by much bigger dudes and just like maybe developed a dislike for it and just kind of like, ah, oh, it's a big guy game. And he just doesn't like it. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe think it's the Dockeray match? <laughs> I don't know if it's one match in particular. I think he developed that philosophy a little bit before he became a black belt, if I had to guess. Um, I don't know, it? man. He was a huge triangle guy until he was like a brown belt. <laughs> Oddly enough. But I feel, I feel like, I feel like you can be a lot of things before a certain level, though. You well, I mean? that, is, that is absolutely correct. Yeah, like, like, I, like I said, I was a, uh, I had one sweep, and then I was like, oh, I have to actually like learn. You know what I mean? Uh, I think that. So, like I said, he doesn't discourage it, right? He just gives his opinion out where he's like, I think this is a big guy's attack. Yeah. Um, but like you said, he'll switch from the Kimura to an arm bar and whatever it is. Well, that's the thing is like, okay, finish, okay. Finishing the Kimura. Yes. There is an element of strength dependence there. Mm-hmm. No doubt. If you're Bruno Malfasini, you're not going to Kimura, uh, Buchecha, right? Like mm-hmm. that's not a thing that's going to happen, Correct. but you can use that grip and that control to arm bar, take the back. Yeah. Like most of the time when I Kimura someone, Maybe five five percent of the time I finish the Kimura, I almost always finish the armbar or take the back and then just choke them. And a lot of people I actually want to point out are super vulnerable to Kimuras. Um, oh I don't yeah, know. It, it, it's something that people kind of like neglect, like their their awareness of where their arm positioning is, especially as they're passing. I feel like that Kimura is almost yeah. always available, and I only know this because I was one of those people. I would constantly be trying to pass, somebody puts me in a Kimura, and I'm just stuck or I get swept or whatever it is, yeah. and now I'm much more aware of it, especially because like I have a really bad left shoulder and I don't want you to come on me. So I'm very conscious of that and I'm very aware of that. Uh, but I just think that's something really interesting that people kind of like, and I think that's something that people need to really take a look at, even if it doesn't make it their game, take a look at utilizing Kimura to open up a lot of opportunities for you. Yeah. I just think it's a really, really good thing to use. Would you yeah, think the, of- yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so Wagner Hosha actually has an interesting take. He says that the Kimura is the 50-50 of the arms. Yes. Uh, do we want to talk a little bit about that and why? I don't I know think, the context of what you were saying it, but so I'm so I, I'm I'm familiar with this. So I can talk about it a little. I, I trained a little bit with uh, Pablo Popovich when Wagner was training there a lot, and I think I don't know if I trained with him much or not, but like his game was very influential at that school. You know. I think that when you what he's talking about when you say that is when you do uh, when you get to the Khmer grip, you're creating an arm entanglement and there are there are opportunities for both you and your opponent to use that arm entanglement 
to improve the position or go to submission. I think 50-50 the arms is too much. And I actually own that DVD set. It's, it's, it's quite a good uh, video set. Um, but I think 50-50 is too much. You know, 50-50 is a true 50-50 position. A Kimura is not a 50-50 position. Um, it's more like an 80-20 position. Like the guy on the bottom has some ideas and has some things he can do. But if you've got the grip on top, like like you should finish. Um, so, you know, I, I, I do think there is there is interplay there, like there is in any position. There are things the bottom guy can do. Um, you know, you can... If the guy goes for the armbar, like you can reverse him and armbar him because your arms are entangled. But practically speaking, most of the time, the guy going for the armbar is going to finish and the person trying to counter is not. So um, I, I don't think it's an equal position. I think it's a pretty dominant position for the top guy. And if you're aware of the bottom guy's options, they should not be able to get any of them. Yeah, I agree with that. If that, yeah, I don't see how it's a 50-50 position, especially, like you said, especially for your guy on top. If you're on bottom, I think it's closer to a 50-50 position because I do think that there's a, because there are so many counters from the top that can actually put the person on bottom in a very compromised position while they're going for the Kimura. So I think it's closer to 50-50 if you're going for the Kimura from the bottom, uh, from the top. I think that's true. Yeah. Yeah, that that's a good that's a good point. If you are on the bottom with the Kimura like from half guard, that's a that is a very 50-50 position because it's very stally and it's, you know, it's touch and go who's going to end up better. Um but if you're on top like you you should take his back or on bar. Yeah, I don't even think that's close. I think that's just straight up like 100 one. No, it's it's no. a good it's it's a good position. It's like having a guillotine grip. Like yeah, maybe the guy passes your guard if you've got him in a deep guillotine, but usually that should not happen. Yeah. And uh, I think the yeah, no, no. I, yeah, I think the the Kimura trap actually uh, something I want to talk about. So when I first really started getting into jiu-jitsu and started thinking about it, uh, I gravitated towards an omoplata game, where it, my game wasn't about a specific guard; it was about just getting to that pos- like a a sweep slash submission position. I think the Kimura trap is like that in a way where can you build? Would you recommend building a game around a specific? sweep or, uh, or uh, submission, like a Kimura trap or a normal plata, as opposed to starting with a guard? Or is there, what are the benefits of doing that versus, let's say, if you want to start with a butterfly guard and building out from there? Yeah. I don't think it matters because I don't think anything before purple belt matters. I mean, and I don't mean that in a mean way, but just like everything before that is just figuring out what jiu-jitsu is about and developing something that kind of works. Um, I think once you are at purple belt, you probably have something that you go for from most positions, and then that's what you build your game around. So, like, you know, you've got whatever your passing game is, and you get to top side control, and you know that what you want to do is try to Kimura the guy, try to get that Kimura grip and start playing to his back or playing for the armbar. Um, you know, before, uh, before purple, again, you're just, you're just learning. You should be collecting techniques. You should be figuring out the, the, the flow of jujitsu and what it means to interact with someone in a role. And, um, yeah, you know, hopefully you've got a good coach and don't worry too much about, uh, about the other pieces. No, I, I don't really have too much to add to that. That's pretty much, I agree with that hope. So, um, I don't, uh, I think that, um, I think that one thing I would say is if you can, I would say I think it is important, not necessarily to compete as a white belt, but I think it is important to compete as a blue belt. Um, I wouldn't wait 
uh, for your first tournament to be a purple belt, if you ever compete. You don't obviously have to compete. It's not necessary. I do think it is somewhat important, though. Everyone should compete. Yeah. I, I, at least if, at least a few times. Yeah. If you're physically capable, I, I think yep. that is a caveat. Yep. Like, you know. That, no, that, that's a good caveat. I mean, if you, you know, if you're in your fifties or sixties, whatever, maybe you've got some, some other problems and, um, you don't want to compete. That's, that's fine. I mean, I'm not trying to say those people shouldn't do jujitsu, but if you can compete, you should. I mean, I, I don't know who said it. Maybe it was even one of my coaches, just some random guy. Uh, but, um, I always remember the saying, uh, somebody said a, a competition is worth about 30 practices in terms of getting better. And I really think that's true. It, it refocuses you. I've literally seen people who never competed, who were always easy to just beat up in the gym, go compete once, come back and just be five times as difficult to roll with because now they get it, right? They've internalized the struggle of uh, a real competition. And, um, you know, there's just no substitute for that. I agree. I, I remember my first competition. It was not only terrifying, but it also had the worst possible result. First match, two minutes in, the guy pull, sits, uh, pulls guard, close guard, hyperextends my knee. I'm done. First competition. And Ugh. it sucked. Like, like, that was the worst feeling in the world. I couldn't train for like a week, uh, a week afterwards. And then like the next two weeks, I'm like half training. And then I signed up for my next tournament. And I took, that was crazy. I took gold. Um, I won two matches. I lost one. It was a round robin. And then I got my blue belt that week. And it was my birthday yeah. week. So that was just a really good fucking Nice. Week. Uh, but like, I came back from that as like a different, like from, with a completely different, uh, orientation towards how I rolled, how I trained, yeah. what I thought, yeah. what I thought I knew and what I know I needed but didn't know. And yeah, composition is super important. Learning to deal with that anxiety, learning to deal with those nerves, learning to deal with that pressure. Learn to yep. deal with gassing out in like a minute, despite the fact mm-hmm. that you should be in really good shape and you could roll for 10 rounds at the gym because that, that is totally different when there's someone who's actively trying to hurt you as opposed to someone who's trying to help you get better and trying to get better themselves. It's a very different mindset and mentality that I think is super important uh, for everyone to try and get if they can. You compete, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. My, um, Funny story. So my first competition, my first match, I got put into a Kimura. I had the opposite side coach yelling to break my arm. I got out of it, Kimura the other guy, and dislocated his shoulder and then proceeded to go 0-6 for the rest of the day because I was somewhat traumatized. <laughs> so that was my first uh, competition story. Um, I, don't, I wasn't really focused on thinking about jiu-jitsu until I met Ben. Um, I, I mean, I was training all the time, but I didn't actively think about it as the way I should. Uh, I'm looking forward to competing soon, though. I was supposed yeah. to do the. I was supposed to compete. I think like a week ago with Ben. The 31st, yeah, we were supposed yeah. to go to Grappling Industries. Um, nice. And they they pushed it off. And I thought that was like a perfect tournament to like really, because you get like multiple matches even if you lose. It's really. I haven't really liked that format. Personally. Yeah, I, I did pants. I did pants last year. I won my first. Do they do round robin? Pants? pants? No, not pants. I know pants doesn't. Grappling Industries is that? Is, yeah, are they round, round robin? robin? Yeah. Oh, dude, round robin's the shit. It's so good. Now, I story about pants. So I flew there from Wisconsin. First, I hurt my knee. I forgot you were a Scotty. Uh, yeah, unfortunately. Where are you from, <laughs> Madison? 
No, I'm from Manhattan. I just went out there for college. Oh, that's right. Fucking yeah. A. That's right. But that's uh, right. my pants, I hurt my my knee uh, like three weeks before. And I won my first match, but I, I hurt my uh, calf so bad that I could only stand straight up. Dude just shot a low double, immediately was face, uh, face planted, and then got darsed in about a minute. The only match my dad's ever seen me compete in. It's perfect. Oh the, one, the, the only yes. time my dad has ever seen me compete, it was at Fight to Win Pro, and I uh, bow and arrow choked a guy in front of 3,000 people. That's fucking awesome, number one. Now make fun I, of me. I, I think you can actually see that match on Flow Grappling. You can also. Right. I'm going to look that up. If I would like to watch that match, if, you, if we could find it, Matt, look for you'd it. Have, you'd have to look it up under my real name. If you can't find it, I'll show it to you sometime. Yeah, we'll, we'll look it up under your real name. But uh, yeah. I do. I do. So my father came to two matches in my life. The first one was the uh, af- the first tournament I came <laughs> I had, along with four friends who also were coming, but all of them were late. My father f- comes up. I see him like. He is walking up to my mat area as I'm being helped off the mat. <laughs> and my father is looking at me like, what the fuck? <laughs> my friends make it like 10 minutes later and they just see me on the sideline with my knee like straight up on the bench, just iced. And they're like, so we missed it, huh? <laughs> they're like, how'd you do? And I'm like, Shit. this is how I did. This is it. This is the entire tournament. If you want okay. a real uh, grappling horror story for a tournament, I was one of my coaches, the uh, amazing coach, uh, Drew, uh, big Sambo guy. But uh, I, I'm at the tournament already, and I hear he, he's on his way. His tire blew out on the way there, right? Right. First match has an asthma attack, done for the day. We're, at, we're in the car ride going home, and for some reason, I'm in shotgun. And for those who don't know, because I'm from New York City, I have no idea how to drive. We crashed the car <laughs> on the way back. When <laughs> we were going to a parking lot, and he hits uh, he hits a uh, a pole, and I just go turn, just goes get out of the car. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, that was the worst tournament experience I think I've seen anyone have. Uh, how about your dad yelling triangle because he heard the coach next to him yell triangle? Watch the triangle. So he just goes, he said, watch the triangle. <laughs> But I, you could see, I think I have the video. I'll see if I can clip it. You see me look at the sidelines, start cracking up with my opponent, and then we, like, like just continue the match. But I just look at my dad with this look on my face, like, please shut the fuck up and don't do anything other than say go, like, or yell yay. I was so, oh, my God. Say os again. I was ready to get off the mat and slap the shit out of him. But let's be honest. We all know your worst tournament experience, right? Uh, I would say it was my best tournament experience. Getting to 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 compete against Devontae Johnson was pretty fucking dope. That's the ACL tearing was not great, but like uh, with being up on points on him was nice. Briefly, not points. Sorry, an advantage, but I'll take it. it counts it still counts. Um. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, Javante Johnson was like a three-time world champion at Purple Belt and is now a super heavyweight black belt. Unity guy. My team Unity won. guy. Man. Yeah, he put on a, a significant amount of... He uh, he went on the Gordon Ryan diet. That's my understanding. So no Jesus. Just Steroids us. and Brazilian trainer pussy? I had, ooh, I don't know about that last part, but definitely on the steroids. And I, I, I don't say this in a negative way. It's not a regulated sport. 
Do all the steroids. You I, want. I, I actually wasn't criticizing him. Oh, I, I know you're not. I think that people make that mistake, like because people take it like, oh, I'm on steroids. I'm on steroids. Like I don't care if you are. You're not in a sport that requires you to not be. So fucking do it. Like you're stupid if you don't do it. I go for the white belts who are just getting into jiu-jitsu. Okay, not the white belts. I'm talking about like, if you're an elite. Like if you're a black belt and you're not doing fucking roids. If you're a professional, if you make your living from jiu-jitsu, you should absolutely be taking steroids. Yeah. Ideally, with like some semblance of doctor supervision, like don't just go to the guy yeah, in the right. gym. But uh, yeah, no, you this need your estrogen blockers. I mean, yeah. you know, you're definitely you gonna want, need to cycle off the world. Yeah, you listen. You don't want to go full on uh, Dwayne Johnson and have to have surgery and then wear a shirt for a year. But uh, yeah, this is a this is a very guard oriented. Yeah, so back to the guard. Uh, <laughs> steroids are important for good guard kids. They, I mean, your Uncle Tommy. You need a really strong grip, and steroids will definitely help you putting on your for, building your forearm muscles so that you're going to be able to retain the grip, whether in the gi or, or out of the gi. Like, if in the gi, you're going to basically have a pistol grip. Well, you'll have more stamina. I yeah. mean, you won't gas out. You're going to be able to, and then the person in your guard will just not want to be in there because you're really squeezing them so hard with your muscle bound leg. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, well, That's a big K-Dojo thing. Maybe you know K-Dojo being in the uh, the Northeast, but just squeezing people till they give up from close guard. Or maybe you know Gabby Garcia. You could probably just squeeze a human being until they pop. Very horny. No, that wasn't – that was that was just an observation. That's not horny, Ben. Not I was just going to say depend, depends yeah. where their head's at. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, my God. Okay, we're – you edit the fuck out of that. <laughs> That's got to go out. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I No, I know, but, like, I actually might have to meet Gabby Garcia again. So, like, <laughs> she does come to Marcella's, like, decently often, I would say. She's there you at least know, once a year. Don't, well, no, me. Uh, I'm gonna not go near her if this be if this is ever released. <laughs> She's going to be like, I know you. <laughs> like, no, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. It was dark. It wasn't me. Does Gabby Garcia even speak English? I think she does. Like, understand. She probably kind of does. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't think she like speaks English, but she can understand. She speaks like Brazilish. Yeah. Um, Guarded, she speaks better English. She speaks better English than Mackenzie Dern at this point. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening to the first edition of the Fight Sites Say Os Again podcast. I'd like to thank Ben and Tommy for bringing their insights into a larger platform. And next time, we'll be speaking about which guards to start out with while building a jiu-jitsu game. I'm your host, Matt, for the Say Os Again podcast, and thank you for listening.